Happy New Year, everyone. Is it off to a good start? Great. We, uh, Lenisa and I made it to Kentucky last Sunday afternoon. Thank you for praying for us. Didn't make it by 5 o'clock. Had five minutes to spare. No tickets. Had a nice time with our family. They even had an early birthday cake for me. My birthday is about a week and a half from now, but they had me a had me an ice cream, a, a, a UK decorated ice cream cake from Dairy Queen, and I indulged. <laughs> we had a good time. I hope you've had a good good time with family and away from school, away from work, and uh, ready to get off to a good start this year. Um, we said last Sunday this is the the time when people start thinking about what most people call New Year's resolutions, those things they want to change in life, those things they want to do better, want to do differently, adjustments that need to be made. And I'm going to suggest a question for you to ask and answer. And actually, this is a good question to ask and answer every year about this time, but it's this, just imagine you're 80 years old looking back over your life. When you reach that point, what do you not want to say, I wish I had? Okay. Just, just think about that a minute, because when you reach those golden years and you look back over the decades, what do you not want to say, I wish I had? I wish I'd done this. I wish I had not done that. I wish I'd put more emphasis here. I wish I'd, you know, spent more time with my spouse, more time with my kids, more. I wish I hadn't wasted so many years not living for, for Jesus. I wish I'd started planning for retirement soon. Whatever it is, what do you not want to be 80 and look back over your life and say, I wish I had? Answering that question is a, is a quick way to bring to the surface those things that really matter, those things that are important. So it's just a good, simple question that can help you focus on some really important and deep, insightful things in your life. And I want to encourage you to ask that question today and spend some time thinking about it and answer it as you start thinking about what do you want to do this next year, or more specifically, what do you want God to do in your life this next year? Even more specifically, what is God wanting to do in your life? What is God saying to you he wants to do in your life this next year? And so I want to start with a sermon series over the next several weeks called Living Life Without Regrets. How do you get to the end, those golden years, you're 80, and you look back and you have fewer regrets than you might otherwise have? How do you get to the end, look back, and have fewer regrets than a lot of people have? So how do you live a life without regrets? And there's a good example in Scripture to help us get started thinking about this. It's the Apostle Paul and something he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4 near the end of his life. He's, he has this sense from God that his time on earth is close to, to being over. He even says in this passage, the time of my departure is at hand. And the best we can determine from church history and church tradition is that not long after Paul wrote these words, he was arrested by the Romans and then they executed him as a follower of Jesus Christ, became a Christian martyr, if you will. So look what he wrote near the end of his life as he was looking back. In chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verses 6 and 7, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul, as he approached the end of life, looking back, reflecting on how he had lived, he said, you know what? I'm not perfect, but I've done pretty well. 
This was Paul. He, he knew he wasn't perfect. He's the same guy that earlier had written, I'm the chief among all sinners. He knew he was a sinner. But when he came to the end and he looked back and he really thought honestly about how he had lived, he said, you know what? I did pretty good. He said, I finished the course, the race. I didn't quit. I didn't give up. I did not allow discouragement or circumstances or other people to, to get in my way and cause me to stop. I finished. Okay? I kept running. I finished the course. He said, uh, I fought a good fight. Because the Christian life is a spiritual battle. Living the right way, being the right kind of person, the right kind of husband, the right kind of wife, the right kind of you, means that often you're in, you're in a battle with culture. You're in, a, you're in a battle with the forces of evil in this world, if you will. And not everybody is cheering you on and say, yeah, do it well, do it right, do it good. But Paul said, when I look at all that, I did pretty good. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I didn't quit. I kept the faith. I didn't give up on Jesus. Didn't turn my back on Him. I didn't put Him in a little box and set Him over here on the side for a season of my life. I kept the faith. I stayed true to my relationship with Christ, to who I was as a disciple. I kept the faith. And so He said, in all reality, when I look at my life, here at the golden years, at the end of it, I look back. No, I'm not perfect. But I did all right. Don't have a whole lot of regrets about my life since the day I gave myself to Jesus. Now here's the catch. The reason Paul could say he finished well, the reason Paul had been able to, over the years, do things the right way so that he ended up finishing well was because of how he saw his life while he was living it. And the way he saw his life while he was living it, which determined how he finished it, is found in the first of those two verses when he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. You've heard me talk about this before, but Jewish people would bring to the altar meat, which would be burned on the altar as a sacrifice to God. That's a meat offering. They also had drink offerings, which was wine in a container, a cup, and they would pour that wine on the offering, and it would be called a drink offering. And Paul said, if you want to understand how I see myself, how I see my life, I see my life like a drink offering. My life is being poured out on on the altar of of, of Jesus Christ, of, of serving Christ and living for Christ. And with every passing day, year, and month, more of it is poured out until eventually it's all poured out and my time to depart, to die, to leave here has come. So he says, the way I viewed my life all these years was my life is a drink offering. Pouring myself out on the altar of Jesus Christ. And because that's how he viewed his life, he was able to make good decisions that allowed him to get to the end of his life, look back and say, you know what? I did okay. I don't have a lot of regrets because the way you see your life, the way you see yourself determines the decisions you make while you're living your life. And the decisions you make while you are living your life determine the quality of your life. Those decisions while you're living life 
shape how you finish. And so when you get to the end and you look back, how you feel about the way you finish, the regrets you have or do not have will be shaped by the decisions you made along the way while living. And the decisions you make along the way while living are determined by how you see your life, how you see yourself, particularly in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that's a biblical, Christian, godly perspective. But people who don't know God also have insights into living and regrets. When I was on my last study retreat, several, one of them a few months ago, I spent some time looking at research about regrets people have. And one research project that was completed last April interviewed a large number of Americans aged 60 and older about their regrets. They interviewed all across this country people who were in their golden years, 60 and up, and they said, as you look back over your life, what are your regrets? What, what are some steps you wish you had taken to plan and prepare for the senior years? So if you, if you look back and if you could go back and do it differently, what are some steps you would take to get ready for the finish? And uh, do you know what the top answer was, the top regret, the top step they would take? Save more money. Did that surprise anybody? Number two, take better care of my health. That's on a lot of New Year's resolution lists, right? But there will not be a whole lot of follow-through, unfortunately. Number three, Make better investments. That's connected to number one. The next one. This one surprised me. Keep my legal documents more organized. Well, that's connected a lot of times to financial issues and end-of-life issues and so on. And it's really, really important, something that you know people who aren't very organized don't think about, but it is a word to the wise. This one is really insightful. They wish they had stayed closer to family. And as a pastor, i got to tell you, I hear way too often from people who have strained relationships with their extended family, whether it's a sibling or a brother, sister, parent, grandparent, some, some member of the family. And I, I, I hear from people too often, siblings, for instance, who haven't spoken to each other in years. Somebody said something, somebody did something. And then it became like the proverbial dog chasing its tail. And one year became two years, and two years became five years, and five years became a decade, and, and on and on. And, and one of the things that people who were 60 and older in America said they wished they had taken steps to do better over the years was to stay closer to family. And then the last one that's already up there is they wish they had worked longer. And that's connected to the financial issues because what they had for retirement didn't last or didn't support them as well as they had hoped or thought, or they just got bored <laughs> and uh, wish they had kept working. And so I spent some time trying to, in my own mind, summarize those findings, and I and basically decided that that in that all of those fall into these three categories: financial issues, health issues, and family or relationship issues. Just think about that for a minute. All all of those results of this particular study fall into one of those three categories. That the biggest regrets senior adults have as they look back over their life, financial issues, 
relationship issues, and health issues. Now, if you are under 60, raise your hand and wave at me. You need to learn from them. Okay? You need to learn from them. Because if you don't, when you are 60 and older, you're likely to have the same regrets. Another um, research project, psychologists reviewed several studies about regrets and combined the results of all those studies. And what they did was these, they looked at all these studies that had asked people to describe their, their biggest regrets in life. And they categorized all of those regrets under what they call 12 domains or 12 subject areas. So all the regrets fell within one of those 12 subject areas, those 12 domains. The most common domains were these. Education. That's connected to the financial issues. Wishing they had gotten more education or paid more attention when they were in school because they came to realize that education in our culture often, not always, but often has an impact on your financial life as well as other areas of life. So a lot of senior adults wish they had paid more attention to education when they were younger. You also see the area of career, which again is somewhat connected to the financial issues, but it was more than that because a lot of people said they spent their life at a job they did not enjoy. They, they, never, they never committed to, to going after their passion what they enjoyed, their heart. And when they got to the end, they regretted that they had always put that to the side. Another one was, uh, was uh, romance. That's the way this particular secular group categorized it, romance. An example of that would be um, not putting in more effort in their relationship with their spouse or putting too much energy and time into work and actually... A big part of the research in that area was there were a fair number of older Americans who felt they had married the wrong person. Now, if you're single, raise your hand. That includes you teenagers. If you're single, raise your hand and look at me. All right, look at me. That, the, listen, the fact that that showed up in this major research project speaks to the importance of of you as a single person, of you as a young young person, of having some values and standards for your dating life. And not simply dating for the sake of dating. Because, listen to me, listen to me, please. If you date simply for the sake of dating, you can become emotionally attached to someone. You can become sexually involved, and that increases the attachment and end up emotionally feeling like you're in love and marrying someone that in the back of your mind you know is not the right person and you're either going to get a divorce or be stuck in a bad marriage unless God intervenes. And so if you're single, having some values and standards for dating instead of just dating for the sake of dating is one of the most important safety nets you can put in your life. A word to the wise. 
And as a pastor, I counsel with people all the time, and I can tell you there's a lot of people who marry the wrong person because they had no values and no standards for making decisions about dating while they were single. I had to throw that in today because that's not one of the sermons I'm going to preach over the next few weeks, so that's the mini-sermon on that particular topic, okay? But family and relationships, big, big issue. Parenting, which is also connected to the family and the relationships, People who are wishing they had spent more time with their kids, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. For the next few weeks, I'm going to do some teaching, some preaching from God's Word on these subject matters that have been identified in these various research projects about the regrets, the more common regrets that senior adults have as they look back over their life because they're, they're near the finish line. And they're looking back and they're saying, you know, man, I wish... I should have. I regret. And so we're going to take those regrets, those I wish I hads, and I'm I'm going to do some teaching. Because we don't want to make those same mistakes, right? Right? Or or do you? Am I right or, or does it matter? Am I right? Okay. I just want to make sure you're with me. So that's what we're going to do. But now, these sermons are going to be very practical. I want to give you a lot of helps, a lot of how-tos, a lot of suggestions. Example, next Sunday, one of the categories is financial issues. So next Sunday we're going to talk about financial issues. No, it's not a sermon on tithing. I'll mention tithing, but that's, that's not the sermon. It's a sermon on financial issues because a large number of senior adults have regrets about financial decisions they made in their life about the way they manage money, about preparation for retirement. And so we're going to take 15 minutes of sermon time next Sunday and two guys in our church who help people, know a lot about this stuff, know a lot more about it than I do, are going to be here and we're going to talk. And they're going to talk about the mistakes they see people making all the time and some of the things you can do to avoid making those mistakes. Okay? Obviously, it's not going to be an in-depth thing, but it's going to you know, highlight it. We offer workshops around here all the time. These guys will be offering workshops in the days to come to help you in more depth, but we're going to talk in practical ways and just get it on the, the table, okay? And so that's what we're going to try to do every week. We won't necessarily have an interviewee every week, but every week find some way to be as practical as we can as we look at these regrets so that we can do better. And not get to the end of our journey and look back and say, wow, I wish I had. Going to sound the alarm. Now, in the time I have remaining this morning, I'm going to give you some biblical principles that can guide you in this whole process. Okay? Not talking about a particular regret, but just basic biblical principles that, that you need to put into practice, that you need to follow, that you need to own for yourself. If you're going to do anything significant with the information we're going to look at the next few weeks. Okay? Because just hearing stuff is insufficient. So here's some biblical principles, some guidelines, if you will. And the the first one is you need to start while you're young. You need to start while you are young or midlife. Because there are some things that if you wait until you're a senior adult to start, it's too late. You cannot prepare for retirement, for instance, when you're 60. It's too late. Okay? It's just too late. 
that's, that's got to be done earlier. Now, there's some things you can do at 60 to make it a little bit better. But you've got to start when you're 20, not 60. Notice what the Bible says. Proverbs 10, 5. He who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. That's a farming analogy. I grew up on a farm. I get that. Because sons would help their dad and grandfather on the farm. We lived in the farmhouse my grandfather built, and so all of us boys on the farm and my cousins, my, my dad's sister's boys, lived in a different house on, on the farm, and, 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 and twice a year when it was time to, to, you know, to cut hay and put it in the barn, it was all hands on deck. We cut the hay, it had to dry a little bit, and then we'd get it to the loft, to the barn, because you don't want it to rain on that freshly cut hay. Got to get it in. And when it's time, folks, it's time. If you wait, it'll rot. You'll lose it. When, when the beans are ready to be picked, when the tomatoes are ready to be plucked, when the corn's ready to be shucked, got to do it. You can't say, oh, I don't feel like it. I'll put it off till a later time. Because when a harvest is ready, you've got to get it when it's ready. And if you don't, the harvest will ruin. The harvest will rot. The harvest will decay. You'll lose it and you don't get it back. And what he's saying is there's a principle here. There are things in life that are like a harvest. You're a young son. And there, there, are, time, there are things that, that you've got to do when the harvest is ready, things you've got to do when it's the right time, because if you don't do it then, you lose it. And a wise son, a good son, says, okay, it's time, let's get after it. But a shameful son is lazy and keeps putting it off, continues making excuses and says, no, nah, I'll do that some other time. You can't be the right kind of parent after your kids are grown. You've got to do that while you're raising them. Okay? You want to invest in them? That's when you do that. Your marriage? You better invest in that relationship with your spouse from the day you say I do till the day one of you dies. And you cannot put that on hold even while making, even while raising your kids. Kids are not an excuse for ignoring your spouse. That's a cop out. And all of a sudden, the harvest will have passed. There's so many things. Listen, folks, so many things you need to start while you are young because here's the kicker. While you are young, you start, you develop the habits, the routines, the attitudes that are going to stay with you for years to come unless you're really intentional about breaking them and changing them later. And all of us know how hard it is to change a bad habit once it's set, right? So start right. Start while you are young. And I want to say to all you teenagers over here and all you single adults out here, all you young adults out here, you, those of you in your tw- teens and 20s, 30s, yes, if you think this has nothing to do with you, you're not, you're not as wise as you think you are. Because, listen, those of you who are teenagers and in your 20s and in your 30s can benefit from what we're going to talk about the next few weeks more than any other group in this church or in this city. 
Those of you watching on television, if you're in that age group, you can benefit from this more than anybody in their 50s and 60s can benefit from it. And so I hope, I hope you'll listen and say, God, speak to me and show me those things in my life, God, that you want to do so that I can finish well, look back and not feel so regretful. So start while you're young. Number two, you will reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It's a farming analogy. I get it. I get that. You plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes. You plant green beans, you get green beans. You plant corn, you get corn. You plant cucumbers, you get cucumbers. What you are planting now by the decisions you make, what you are planting now by how you see yourself and your life is already producing, already growing, and there's going to be a harvest, there's going to be a crop down here What you're planning in your decisions and your living right now is going to shape the harvest you have when you reach those golden years and look back over the decades of your life and say, wow, I did pretty good, or man, I really made a mess of things, or I wish I had. Well, how you feel here on this end of your life, how you feel at 60, how you feel at 70, will be largely influenced and shaped and fixed by the seeds you plant in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, on your way to your 60s and 70s. And that's a principle of life that you cannot change. That's a principle of life you cannot avoid. You can ignore it, but to your own detriment. But you cannot change it. You cannot avoid it. It's how life works works. Now can you in later years do some things to make some things better? Yes. But if you're in your 60s, you already know you can't do as much about some things now that you could have done back here, right? That's how life is. And you young people, listen to me. The seeds you plant, the decisions you make, how you see your life in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, into your 40s is going to shape how you feel at the golden years of life word to the wise number three learn from others man I hope you're not one of those people who has to learn everything the, you know the hard way on your own first Corinthians 10 11 these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction Paul in Corinthians is talking about the Jewish people who followed Moses out of Egypt during the exodus but because they made bad decisions about God and other things they, they got stuck wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And listen to this. The generation that saw God part the Red Sea, the generation that saw God slay the Egyptian army, the generation that saw God deliver them from being slaves in Egypt to free men and women, that generation never set foot in the promised land. They all died in the wilderness wandering around because of the decisions they made after God miraculously freed them. Just because you finish well, you, you, listen, just because you start well does not mean you'll finish well. It's not just how you start, it's how you continue. It's constancy, it's faithfulness along the way that matters. But Paul is saying, 
All of these things are written in Scripture for our benefit. I'm so glad God does not whitewash the events of the Bible. He just lays it out there the way it actually happened. Good, bad, ugly, and all. And we're told He does that so we can learn from their examples. God says, why do you have to learn it the hard way yourself? Can't you open your eyes and see they did that and it didn't work out so well. Maybe I should not do that as well. And learn from other people in life. You see people mess up all the time, don't you? Well, do you have to go and do the same thing to figure out for yourself it won't work for you either? Don't learn everything the hard way. Learn from others. Proverbs 1, verses 2 and following, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So here's the question. Are you, are you a wise person? Are you a wise person? Are you open to learning from others, from Scripture? Or are you just going to go and do your own thing, your own way, learning everything the hard way, making a mess of stuff? Are you a wise person? Number four, be intentional about changing because change doesn't just happen. Change comes because of decisions, choices, intentionality. James 1, 23 and 24, he said, if you're someone who hears the Word but doesn't do it, doesn't act on it, the Word of God, the truth of God. You're like a man who looks in the mirror, sees his image, his reflection, then turns away and as he's walking away, he totally forgets what he looks like. Because you, you hear something at church, you hear the Word of God, and you say, you know, yeah, someday and I need to and I'm going to, and you have, you, you have these thoughts, yeah, I'm going to, I need to, but an hour later you've totally forgotten it. And if that's your pattern, it doesn't result in much change. Change is intentional. Change is a decision, a choice that we make. It's not enough to, just to think about Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're really going to change, you have to change your thinking, change your attitude, change your perspective, your view of things. Change what goes on in your head and stop making excuses. For bad decisions. Stop making excuses for patterns of behavior that aren't getting you anywhere. Change your thinking. Number five, repent and receive forgiveness for past sins and mistakes. I know there's some people in this room, and some of you are young, some of you are older, but there are people in this room who have a hard time believing they can ever be different than what they are right now. There are some of you who've made mistakes, made, you, you've made bad decisions, you've committed sin, and you've beaten yourself up and other people have beaten you up and you feel so bad and you feel so guilty that deep inside you just don't think you can ever do any better. So why try? You're not happy with that, but that's how you think. And you've just, you've just convinced yourself this is all it will ever be. I can never be a different person than what I am right now because guilt and everything else just has you in such bondage. And I want you to know that God can forgive you and set you free from that. But you have to let Him. 
He's faithful and just, faithful and righteous, keeps his word, keeps his promise to forgive us and cleanse us. I, I love those tide stain sticks. I keep those with me. I need them. And it's so cool how you can get a little speck of food and take that thing out and shh, you know. And, you know, 95 out of 100 times it comes clean, looks like new, right? God says, that's what I want to do for you. Because God says your past does not have to be your future. And some of you need to allow God to forgive you. I hope you'll come to our prayer event tonight because we have several prayer stations. One of the prayer stations, you won't be praying out loud in front of anybody, but one of these prayer stations where you can spend some time alone privately with God is in a prayer station for confession. Where you can confess your sin. We'll have all kinds of helps in there to help you know how to confess and, and, and find freedom and forgiveness. Now listen to me. If you're thinking to yourself, I'm too embarrassed to do that. I don't want to go in a room that's all about confession. They'll know why I'm in there. So you're ashamed and you're embarrassed. You need to be in that room. The very fact you feel that way is evidence you need to be in that room tonight, okay? Because God wants to cleanse and forgive you. God wants to heal you. God wants to free you. Then the last one is pray daily. Instead of just wishing and worrying. We talked about this in the whole sermon last Sunday. Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, not even one thing, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We said last Sunday, instead of, instead of making New Year's resolutions, allow God to speak into your life about those things God's wanting to do in your life. See, some of the things that we would naturally put on a New Year's resolution list are things God's already trying to talk to us about. It's God's voice that's making us think about that. And so what is it God wants to do in your life to make your life better? To bring more glory to himself? To, to set you on a course that will result in you being over here at the end of your life looking back and saying, man, I did pretty good. I don't have a whole lot of regrets. Will you open up your mind and your heart to hear from God? Identify those things God's wanting to do in your life and then pray to Him about those things. All of us carry burdens and concerns. Some of you are concerned about a grandkid who's making a lot of bad decisions. Some of you are worried about a child who's rebellious or dating and, you, and, and, and you're worried about a relative who's lost or somebody, a friend or a relative who is a Christian and they used to go to church but they don't go to church anymore and it just breaks your heart. You've got decisions you've got to make. All these things that are on your heart and we think about this stuff and we worry about it and we pray about it from time to time and what I'm asking us to do is take all these things that God's putting on our heart as burdens this, this year. All, all these things God's saying to us that He wants to do in our life and change in our lives and I, I want us to identify them and get them, get them in writing and, and by the way there's an insert in your bulletin today that looks like this has a bunch of questions for you to answer on it. Was, it was on the back of the sermon insert last Sunday. If you'll spend some time this afternoon thinking through and praying through these questions, you will identify some things in your life that God's wanting to do. And, I, and I'm, I'm just encouraging us, rather than just thinking about it and worrying about it, say, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to do what God says. Don't be anxious, but instead pray and let your requests be made known to God. And every day, every day, every day this coming year, Pray about those things that God identifies. 
make, make them a bullseye, you know, that target you're going to shoot at and you're going to focus on that and you're going to pray for that. Make it, make it, draw a circle around it. Draw a circle around it and focus on it and say, that's my prayer request. I'm praying for that and I'm going to pray every day and I'm going to not only pray every day this coming year, I'm going to pray every day until God answers that prayer. And tonight's tell God your request for 2015 prayer event is all about that. There's, there's no better way to start a new year than, than seeking the face of God about the things God's put on your heart, the things God wants to do in your life. Now, tonight's prayer event is a little different. We're going to have 12 prayer stations. We'll start here in the worship center at, at a corporate time with some worship just briefly and some instructions. And uh, then you, you're on your own. We're here from 5 to 6.30. Some of you will be here 30 minutes. Some of you will be here the, the hour and a half. That's, that's your choice. Twelve prayer stations. You choose which ones you go to. You choose what order you go to. You can go to all of them or just some of them. That's totally up to you. We'll give you all the information you need tonight. But in every prayer station, at every prayer st- in the classrooms and the hallways where these stations are, there will be some information there to help you know how to pray and seek God in that particular area. It'll just be you. I mean, there'll be other people around, but you won't be praying with them. You'll just be there by yourself doing what's, what's instructed in that room to spend some time with God. One of those prayer stations is confession. There's, there's a prayer station tonight where you can pray for your family, for those rebellious members of your family. There's a prayer station tonight where you can pray for those grandkids who are lost, that brother who's lost. And we'll help you know how to do that, some helps for you. There's there's a prayer station where you can pray for spiritual renewal for those who are backslidden, for yourself if you just need some renewal in your life spiritually. There's a prayer station where you can pray about financial things. Twelve different prayer stations tonight. And I promise you, if you participate in it, you'll be able to spend 90 minutes in the blink of an eye. In fact, if you do everything that's in every room, you can't get it done in 90 minutes, okay? And some very practical how-to. So you, it's, it's, this is a self-guided prayer experience Not after we're in here for a few minutes as a group. And I give you some instructions. And you're just going to seek God. And what are you seeking God about? The things He's put on your heart. So tonight I want you to bring your Bible, bring an ink pen, maybe bring a notepad, bring your list, bring this sheet filled out, bring your prayer list of lost people, backslidden people, those issues that God's been talking to you about, your New Year's resolutions, all those things on your heart, bring them with you. And in these different prayer stations, it's just you and God with us giving you helps, okay, helps so that you can do that in a meaningful and and, and powerful and hopefully prayerfully life-changing way. But you're the one that has to do it. So I don't want you to leave here today just thinking about this stuff. I want you to take advantage of this opportunity. I want you to do something. And we've said last Sunday, stop trying to do it all by yourself. Yes, you have to make decisions. You have to put forward effort. You have to be disciplined. But you can do so much more when you do it in the power of Jesus Christ, you can do so much more when you're on your face seeking God every day. You can do so much more in His strength than you can ever do just by yourself. So come tonight and seek God. Have an encounter with God. Most of you have never been to a prayer event that was just focused on prayer. Many of you who have been to prayer events really haven't been to one quite like this one.
nobody tonight is going to feel bad because anybody's going in any particular room because we're all going to make our way around to most of those rooms. Because me and Deacon sitting down here at the front, others, we all have sin to confess. We all have things we've got to get right with God. Be here tonight. You know that old saying that you can, you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink? I kind of feel like that. All I can do is give you the opportunity. We've worked really hard putting this together to help you. But it won't help you any if you don't do your part and participate. Drink the water. If you've never been to a prayer event, let this be your first. Do something. Bring your information with you. Bring your Bible. Bring your pen and come. All right, let's stand. When I say amen on this prayer, I want you to come to the altar. Come to this altar and prepare yourself for tonight. We've got a new kneeling bench up here. Come and check it out. Get on your knees and, and talk to God. And um, ask God to help you get ready this afternoon for tonight. Okay? If you really need your life to be different, come and talk to God about it right now. Start it today. Join this church. Just come and pray for someone. And I know there's some people in this room, and I can tell you right now what your biggest regret is already to this point in life. There's some of you, your biggest regret right now when you really think about it and you're really honest is that to this point in your life you've continued to say no to Jesus Christ and if you died you'd go to hell. And you've been telling yourself for a long time someday, one day, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And your regrets have a way of sneaking up on us. And all of a sudden you, you, you're, when you're honest you have to admit, man, I'm it's been a lot of years I've been saying that. I've been saying that a long, long time. Well, you've said it long enough. And today's the day. Right now, right now is the time you need to say yes to Jesus Christ. And allow Him to be your Lord and Savior. I forgive you, save you. And by the way, most of what we're going to talk about these next few weeks, some of it can help you no matter who you are. But if you want God to maximize the great work He can do in your life, it, the, only, only, the only way that can happen is for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. That's the first decision. That's the first change that some of you need to make. So pastors, you're here at the front. Come and say to one of these pastors, I, wanna, I want to make that big change. I want to give my life to Jesus and be saved. Come and kneel here and pray. Come and get yourself ready for tonight. Come and, come and uh, rededicate your life to Jesus. Come and join this church. Let's sing together.